Peace of Mind with Ken Pope. As a parent of a child with a disability or special needs, you need to navigate the complex legal issues of providing continued care and quality of life for your child. You need Peace of Mind with Ken Pope. This is a Peace of Mind radio show, and uh, welcome everyone who's listening. Uh, my name's Ken Pope, and the purpose of the show every uh, last Monday of every month is uh, to talk about uh, families who have children with special needs and disabilities and issues that uh, touch on those families. Uh, those are families are one in ten in the province of Ontario. It's an amazing number, and we deal with all sorts of issues between uh, childhood issues, um, IEPs at school, uh, testing, uh, most often uh, dealing with. Uh, provincial benefits when the kids turn 18, uh, issues with, with ODSP, uh, hence and trusts and uh, wills for the parents to provide for the children when the parents are gone. You know, the, the core issue here is um, what will happen to my child when I'm gone. So uh, my law practice assists them with that sort of thing and, and about 13 other things that, um, that deal with them. And one of those topics is uh, powers of attorney from the child uh, when they're adults, so that parents can help manage their affairs. And uh, if the child is not competent, uh, legal guardianship applications to provide them the uh, legal ability to manage the child's affairs and often to have a, a younger person along with them as guardian, such as a sibling, so that when the parents are gone, that uh, that, that guardian, that child, that brother and sister can then assist with various things. Uh, this is especially important as the parents get older and this kind of uh, transition becomes imminent because what you have is uh, situations where people, for example, spoke with a client yesterday. He has a daughter, she's 31, and uh, she happens to have Down syndrome. Uh, she's an only child. And uh, during their lifetime, uh, the parents, he and his wife, have been able to get cooperation from doctors, and uh, they, they, of course, they, they can be the uh, account holder for her registered disability savings plan. You know, they don't need power of attorney for that, but, but when they're gone, uh, they're the only ones who, by statute, could, except, except if that girl happened to have a husband, which she doesn't. So somebody has to have a power of attorney to manage her RDSP, which would be several hundred thousand dollars by the time she's 60. And when it starts to issue money, it'll, it'll pay out directly to her at age 60 for 23 years. And similarly, um, the, uh, the, the mother here is a teacher. Uh, she's going to retire in about five years. And this child, this 31-year-old child, uh, potentially stands one day to receive an adult dependent survivor pension from, from her mother, the teacher. And it would be eventually 50% of the mother's original pension. So if her pension was 60000 which is not uncommon, the girl would get 30000 But of course, you have to be competent to apply for it and to manage it. So, you know, th these are, are serious issues. And for every one of these children, when they turn 65, someone will have to apply for old age security and guaranteed income supplements for them because they'll, they'll transition off of ODSP. Uh, they'll get slightly more money 
as a result. They'll get about $18,000 compared to about 14000 on ODSP. And so, but someone has to, to uh, apply for it and then manage it once it's being paid. So you can see that there's this transitional issue, which often requires uh, legal guardianship. And it uh, manifests itself uh, in many cases. Um, the difference between a power of attorney and a legal guardianship is that the uh, power of attorney is granted by someone who's competent so that others could assist them if they needed assistance. And it can, of course, be revoked. <clears throat> and in lots of cases, you'll find that, uh, for example, with the girl with Down syndrome, uh, the parents have put powers of attorney in place. Uh, but the real question is, you know, truly, they, as long as doctors and banks and so on are prepared to hang their hat on the uh, power of attorney, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. But what, what happens then is that um, when the parents are gone, whoever is the follow-up uh, person, such as a sibling of the girl, um, they don't get the same cooperation from the, the medical authorities and the banks and uh, Canada Revenue, you know, for tax filing and that sort of thing. <clears throat> so it becomes an issue at that point. Um, a legal guardianship is uh, by way of a legal application to the court. It's uh, in, in the, the, all of the ones we do, we handle these applications all over the province. Uh, they're all filed in Ottawa, but they're effective you know, wherever the, the family is. Um, there's no need to appear. There's no court appearances. Um, and then the court issues this uh, certificate appointing the legal guardians, and they then, by way of this order, stand in the shoes of the person who has been found to be not competent. Now, as part of this process, uh, you have to have two capacity assessments, even in cases where it's abundantly clear that the child is not competent. And at that point, uh, what we do, of course, is we engage capacity assessors around the province to do these assessments. You have to have two assessments. So today I've invited Dan Silver as our special guest. Dan's a social worker and also uh, an approved capacity assessor. And uh, Dan is going to discuss the process for these assessments. They're all standardized processes. Um, but of course there's variations in each file. And uh, Dan's going to talk about the, uh, the process for this and the kinds of questions that are asked and uh, the difference between understanding and appreciating the implications of actions. Uh, Dan, uh, welcome to, to the show. I'm glad to have you here. You're, I've always been impressed with your work. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's, it's enjoyable work because we see the people that, the people that are helped by it. Yeah. So let me tell you a, a little bit about the process. In advance of an assessment, when I receive a call, whether whether it's from Ken's office or it's from somebody in the public, I need to first find out what is the reason for the assessment, um, because uh, different types of paperwork are done. And as, as Ken had mentioned a moment ago, they're pretty standardized with some variations on the what is the reason. So I need to know if it's to have a guardian appointed to manage finances, 
or health care or both, and whether it's going to be statutory through the public guardian and trustee's office or through the courts for guardianship, or if it's to activate an existing power of attorney. Another possibility is that it is to change a will and then the assessments for testamentary capacity to protect against the future challenge to an estate by people who were formerly in the will but will no longer be in the will. Or maybe it's coming from a lawyer who wants to be sure that their client is capable of instructing counsel and the lawyer wants to be sure that the individual understands the information that's being shared with them and is able to process it properly. So let, let's talk about uh, guardianships. Uh, some of the, the, the questions that, I got more questions that I need to ask up front are if it has to do with inability to manage the property, meaning the, the finances, the money coming in and the things that need to get paid going out, uh, or if it has to do with exploitation. I also need to gather information about the person's inability to manage their personal care, uh, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. And sometimes it's to terminate, to end an existing guardianship. Uh, also, uh, I need to know if the person is being, if the person's life uh, is being endangered, and if their safety is at risk. And uh, and sometimes it's simply to activate a power of attorney. So once those questions are answered, then uh, then I'm able to proceed. Um, one more very important one is that is that all all assessments must be voluntary in these cases. Uh, rights advice is provided up front, and a person is 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 informed voluntary that they can stop it at any time, and that um, and that if they have questions, that they need to stop me and they need to ask me what what issues, uh, you know, uh, they, they, need, they need to be able to get clarification on what's going on. So uh, some, some useful information that I need in advance so that when I'm asking questions of a person who's being assessed so that I know that I'm getting accurate information when it comes to income. Uh, they, may, they may get some kind of benefit several times a year. I want to know what their expenses are, electricity, taxes, food, whether whether they have big expenses or whether maybe they just spend a little bit of money on, on a chocolate bar or a bag of cookies, whether they pay auto insurance, if they take the bus, how much they pay for the bus, if they take a taxi, uh, and other things, rent and food. Um, those are examples of questions that I ask, and what, if, if I know the, the answers in advance, then I know whether I'm, I'm getting accurate answers. Uh, and the reason that, that this is important is because I need to know that they understand the information. The definition of understanding the information would be uh, their ability, understand refers to the ability to understand the information that's relevant to making decisions. If the person understands the information, then they may be capable, but there's a second part to the test. And the second part of the test is, do they appreciate the consequences of mismanagement? So the definition is, 
appreciate refers to the ability reasonably foreseeable consequences of a decision or lack of a decision and failure to understand or appreciate is grounds to conclude incapacity. Understanding, uh, appreciate the consequences of mismanagement, then they, uh, then the opinion will be incapable. And in the case of guardianship, that's what's presented to the court. And, um, so that the, the, uh, the the paperwork issued by the court will support incapacity, and then the guardian can take care of them. Um, there, there. When it comes to the personal care, and that's the, the health care decisions, the things that we're uh, we're looking to know and to describe in the report uh, speaks to six domains of health care. And they are the person's ability to manage their own health care, meaning medicines, medical checkups, follow through. The next is nutrition. Not only do they, are they able to provide themselves with the necessary nutrition to be healthy, but are they able to prepare it for themselves? Uh, the next is shelter. Can they provide their own shelter? Can they do maintenance repairs? Do they even know if maintenance repairs are necessary? For example, if the, if the roof is leaking, do they know to uh, call a contractor? Or do they know to tell somebody in a position of authority so that that person can actually come through and can take care of it for them? The next domain is clothing. Do they know that in the wintertime they need to put on a winter boots and, and, a, and a coat and maybe a scarf and a hat and gloves, or will they just walk outside in a pair of shorts? Uh, the next dom- domain is hygiene. Are they able to take care of their hygiene? And hygiene is a, a lot more complex than just taking a shower, as you can imagine. Uh, the last one is safety. Are they able to keep themselves safe? Do they know to lock the doors? If they, if they don't know to lock the doors and, and somebody just walks into the house, not like home invasions are, are a regular thing, uh, or they don't happen often, but uh, if, if they can't keep themselves safe in the house, if they can't shovel the sidewalk, if that's something that they would have to do, if they're walking down the, the street and they see a dog and it's a growling and aggressive dog, do they know to sidestep it? Do they know to turn around and walk the other direction? Um, I'll also want to be able to collect relevant medical information, documentation, and reports so that I can review them because those reports may support capacity or then they may also support incapacity. And so weighing that information and presenting it and then coming up with an opinion based on the other information. Uh, sometimes a consent Sometimes I'll need a consent to share personal health information. Sometimes the information will just be provided to me. Um, Ken, any... Uh... Yeah, the, the most common concern that uh, that my clients, my parents have, is that their child uh, could be manipulated or misled or, or uh, brought into signing contracts for credit cards or uh, self cell phones, which would then be stolen from them, and uh, that's the main concern. The uh, 
the children of uh, my fa- clients' families. Normally, when we're applying for uh, for guardianship, it's clear that the, <coughs> excuse me that the child is not competent, and uh, the, the the issue really is um, if they can't sign a power of attorney to have someone uh, help them when their parents are gone. What will happen to them? What will happen to my child when I'm gone? So that's the biggest issue for my clients. Um, in today's world, uh, Dan. Do you have to go and physically see these people, or could you do uh, a remote assessment? Um, that's a, that's an excellent question, especially given the the state of emergency and pandemic that that's going on right now. Um, the preference always is to see the person face to face. I've done I do quite a few video conferences as a psychotherapist. I, I meet with people regularly. Um, but if I'm doing an assessment and it's a one-time assessment, there's some things that I really, uh, I really need to be sure of in advance. And so there, there is some difficulty in, in doing online assessments, but those difficulties can be overcome. So by way of example, I need to know that there's no undue influence in the room at the time. So when I meet with a person, I prefer to meet with them just them with nobody else there. In the, in the case of individuals who have significant disabilities, uh, oftentimes there will be somebody else in the room to keep them comfortable. And, and ha- having said that, if the camera which is on the person is only on that person, or if it's on that person with the significant others sitting behind them, so as undue influence uh, the, the, I know that no undue influence is being is being applied. That can work. Yeah, I can see that. That's clearly an issue, uh, especially in, you know the, the du- <coughs> excuse me the dueling powers of attorney situation where um, there's you know two or more siblings and uh, and they're uh, struggling to manage the uh, the affairs of the of the mother. And of course, you know they're both concerned that the other one is trying to um, manipulate them, or um, control them, or perhaps uh, have undue influence. Um, right. It's a very, in very the, interesting situation. Yeah. In in the case of of um, an individual with a significant disability who's let's say still living with their parents and they just turned eighteen years old, uh, and the parents are seeking guardianship. In a, in a case like that, if I'm able to do, if I'm able to do a good review of the medical information and the financial information in advance of the call, and I'm able to um, uh, formulate an opinion based on that, and there's, there, there's no indication that it's other than a straight guardianship application, then what I need to do is take in, we as capacity assessors need to take into consideration what our college, what our college says. Yeah, I understand. One of the factors uh, in my practice is um, uh, legal guardians uh, have to be joint. They can't be the parents first, and then when the parents are gone, uh, this uh, named brother or sister 
they have to be joint. And uh, this is, in practice, this isn't an issue. It's just that it's not what the client expected. So, for example, you could have uh, the three of them, uh, mom, dad, and a, a brother, or, or an uncle, even, for example, and, uh, and one of the cousins, you know, the child of the uncle. And um, in practice, the uncle and his son don't really want to be currently involved. Uh, so you can do a, a specialized form of power of attorney from them granting their guardianship authority uh, to allow it to be exercised by uh, the mother and father separately, you know, together with that power of attorney. Um, and of course, you're, you're, you're trying to have someone who will be a legal guardian alive after the parents are gone, and if, if at all possible, of a similar age to the child. And that's not always possible right away. So uh, what you would do is you'd start out with the parents and perhaps uh, one of their brothers or sisters. Um, and then 10 or 12 years, 10 or 15 years later, uh, you might add uh, one of the cousins or maybe two of the cousins. You know, if, if you're fortunate enough to have nieces and nephews, cousins of your child. Uh, because, of course, a lot, a lot of times, you know, we have so many uh, singleton children. You know, this uh, situation I was describing where the, the girl who's 31 with Down syndrome, she's an only child. So what do you do here? How, how do you tell? You know, and in this case, for example, the, the father has a slightly older sister, and she has some children, but of course they're only slightly older um, than his girl. So, but, so what you have to do is you have to plan uh, to add on later when, when it becomes appropriate. And this is the same with the uh, trustees of the trust. There's often a correlation similarity between the trustees of the Henson Trust for the child and the guardianship wouldn't be uncommon, would it? And, and of course, in lots of cases, you can't think of who that alternate trustee is who's of a similar age to your child, the beneficiary of the Henson Trust. And so what, what we do in that case is we give the, uh, the last surviving trustee, the uncle, let's say, uh, the power to replace himself, uh, either while alive or in his will, which not complicated. It's just that uh, that's not how it works with legal guardianship. So it's an ongoing issue, of course. But that's the nature of life. You know, you have to deal with these ongoing issues and, and simply make the best decision you can. And in my experience, uh, you know, the, the clients uh, ask me, well, when, when should we do this? And um, because there are legal fees and assess assessment fees, court fees involved, um, you know, we don't try to sell this service. It's, it's only something that, that you do if the client needs it, and it's the best choice for them. And, and sometimes, you know, people will say, well, I'll, I'll wait until the first of us is passed on. And then in other cases, you know, the parents are just right on, on top of everything, as they have been ever since the day the child was born. And they say, well, this, this isn't something I want to leave for my, uh, my ch other children to deal with. We're going to do this right now, so let's get going. So it's, it's a very interesting process. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show. We're very close. Uh, Dan, did you have any final comments that you'd like to make? I do. And parents' greatest fear in my 25 years as a social worker, uh, working with families with uh, loved ones with disabilities, is who's going to take care of my child when I'm no longer able to do it? And um, my, my instinct tells me 
get it done sooner rather than later and make sure that the people who are named to provide that care really understand the, the person that is going to be cared for and that they have great compassion for the person's integrity and their ability to participate in the decision-making, if, if, that's, if that's possible. Yes, um, yeah, there's, no, there's, a, there's an ideological argument that you should never do guardianships. You should just have you know, assisted decision-making. Mm. And there's a role for that, certainly. Yes. But yeah. um, legal guardianship does not in any way stop the guardians from consulting with the person you know, helping them to make decisions. Um, there's no restriction at all on that. It, although, illegally speaking, they, they don't have the contractual legal authority to do these things, that's true. But, um, you know, there's no, no reason at all that the legal guardians can't consult and discuss with the child. And, and of course, the, the parents do. It's just, just a fact. The, uh, you know, the ideological idea that somehow the, the parents, the legal guardians of the, of the child, are going to somehow... Uh, abuse them or manipulate them or not do what's in their best interest. Uh, just not a not a starter as far as my family is concerned. Maybe in, mm-hmm. maybe in some other fact situation. Right. So there's a there's an awful lot to be learned about about the process and where families can go. And and if I might just suggest, uh, any of the listeners out there might want to tune in to some of the the podcasts that are offered. And I know that you offer one, Ken. That's true, and you know we uh, we've recently done a webcast. Uh, there were four hundred and forty registrants, uh, so if anybody listening wants to uh, have us forward that uh, recorded webcast and the PowerPoint slides, we'll be happy to do that. Just you can contact my office. Uh, contact uh, Karen at kpopelaw.ca, Karen at kpopelaw.ca, or um, or just go to the website and uh, contact us that way. Um, Dan, um, if people wanted assistance uh, from you, uh, how would they? Con- how, what's the simplest way to contact you? Well, uh, people can write to me at dan at dansilver.ca, just my name, and, or they can call me at 905-641-2111. That's my phone number. Uh, that's great. Well, you should go back to self-isolation, Dan. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to go back to my office. We've got we've got the seven story building all to ourselves, myself and my my six uh, lawyers and paralegals, and so we're we're self isolating in our office because nobody else, everybody else has gone home. I That's, hear you. I hear you. <coughs> I work in a big medical building, and uh, and there's nobody there, so I've been working from from my home, and it's. Uh, it, it's it's pleasurable, but I, I I hope everybody stays safe out there. That's right. And we get we get through this, and um, we're prepared. We're prepared if it ever happens again. That's it. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, uh, the uh, the show is at nine o'clock on the last Monday of every month, morning of every month.